everyone, Ian here. Just a quick note before today's show. We realised a few hours before recording that this would actually be the 50th episode of Bees Pod. And I want to take a moment just to pause and give a few thank yous to people before we get into the show. First of all, uh, to Michael Hanley. Uh, Michael joined us, myself and Mem, on the very first few episodes of Bees Pod. Uh, he was a fantastic contributor and guest. And we're really grateful for his effort and time in getting Bees Pod up and running uh, all those years ago. Secondly, a big thank you to Charlie, uh, who's joined in and stepped up and really increased what we're doing over the past few episodes. We're really grateful to him for his time. And finally, a huge thanks to you all for tuning in, for listening, for providing us with so many great questions, for putting up with us and our many delays and very sporadic episodes. We're really, really grateful. This is all just a piece of fun for us. We really enjoy it. We love Barnet. We love talking about Barnet. And we're just so, so grateful that you do as well. Take care and really hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Bees Pod. Uh, my name is Ian Bottrell, one of the three co-hosts here. And I'm delighted to be joined uh, by two other fine gentlemen this evening. The first of all, believe it or not, men, this is our 50th episode together. Um, which is quite incredible. Uh, a, that it's taken us seven years to get to 50, and B, that we've managed to get out more than one or two after the first two shambolic outcomes. Um, but it's great to have you on board with us, Mem. Uh, how are you doing this evening? I'm really good. I'm so annoyed that I missed that. I, I really wish... I, I was hoping to do something like really extra special for it and just completely forgot. Well, you're, you're special enough as it is, Mem. So we're we're fine just having you on the show. Some people would say that Jerome Akimo uh, or Nicky Obama has been the best sign of the season. But for us, it's been Charlie Caston joining us at Beast Pod. How are you doing this evening, Charlie? Just as reliable as the two mentioned. Yeah, it's good to see you both. And what a few weeks it has been uh, following the Bees. Our last show came uh, back with Laurie Walker, who joined us as a guest at the start of the new year. Since then, Barnett have been on an incredible run of form, which saw uh, one of the biggest uh, sort of series of away victories that the club's had in recent years, uh, followed by a slightly more patchy run of form up until the present day. But I think if you'd offered any of us uh, where we are right now, which is sitting inside the playoffs and in the semi-finals of the FA Trophy, if we'd offered us that six months ago, we'd be biting your hand off. So this evening's show, we're going to kind of get into uh, what's going right on the pitch. We're going to have a look at some of the big questions that have been raised in recent weeks, uh, get into the sort of long-term plan and hopefully spend a lot of time answering some of the great questions we've sort of had come in. But Charlie, we've seen each other quite a lot um, over the past few weeks uh, behind the goals at various away ends. Just give us your sort of breakdown of, of how things have changed really since the start of the new year and yeah, just some of the sort of memories that have stood out to you in particular over the past few weeks. Yeah, it's good. It's just a bit like um, a bag of revels at the minute. You're not sure what you're going to get when uh, out of the packet. But, um, uh, you know, all the games that I thought we'd, we'd go on and win, uh, we've actually lost the altering of an Oldham <laughs> game and Torquay away. And then the two or three games I thought we'd lose, we've gone and won. So, yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, the, you know, especially yesterday, such a buzz around the away end and so good to see some, you know, familiar faces, new and old. Yeah, it's, it's been brilliant. Man, what have you made of the beast since the start of the new year and in terms of on the pitch? Because you've been to probably fewer games than myself and Charlie, but you've still, we've spin there together at quite a few games where we've seen some real great wins, the likes of Aldershot, et cetera, but also some frustrating performances. But let's start with the positives first of all, man. What, what do you think that Dean's been working on in our good run of form that's, that's really beginning to pay out for us at the moment? Well, I think he's just tried to uh, get that sort of fluid system that we have, which sort of switches between a back five at any one time and a four four at the back and he's just tried to make that better um I think the relentlessness of this team to pick up results 
this year has been amazing. I know we've had a bit of a, a wobble of late, um, but we'll get into that a bit later. But I, I just think that generally picking up so many points and last year we made the point um, within Beast Pod that to improve on last year's performance, we needed to draw less and try and turn some of those draws into wins. And so we literally either winning or, or losing. And I think that's really helped with us accumulating these points. So, Charlie, looking at like some of the really good performances we've seen since the turn of the new year, we could perhaps look at Southend, uh, we might look at the Aldershot game, and then that kind of run of away game. So, Halifax, Eastleigh, Chesterfield at home, Solihull, mm. Torquay. What have been some of the common themes you've seen on the pitch in terms of things that are really just saw us really tighten up and, and then go and score goals at big moments? Do you know what? I think it's the um, consistency of the team we've been putting out. Um, there was a period of time with Barnet where you didn't quite know what eleven was going to be playing, um, but we seem to have got that consistent back four or back five, as it were, at times. Um, and you know the same same names on the sheet, team sheet, starting from the beginning, which I think is a massive um, you know part of our success. And there's no coincidence that as our results as the results have started to you know the form started to dip slightly. We've seen injuries and, um, you know, which has led to the team having to get mixed up and we've, you know, not much balance, especially at the back. We had four left footers starting against Dawkins in, in the defensive line. Um, so it's all about, yeah, all about the balance. Um, and yeah, that, that Chesterfield, I feel like that Chesterfield win at home, that was the start of that mad, well, the run goes back to November, doesn't it, when we lost to South End. But I feel like that home win against Chesterfield was like, don't know, we just took it up a notch then, and then we went on that ridiculous run of, I think, was it four or five away wins in a row or something? Which which, which of those is your favourite? I liked, I like, I enjoyed Scumfort. I think they just had the takeover that week. Um, the, the club had been saved and, you know, there was real pressure there to go there on a Friday night in front of a sellout crowd, especially after we'd won like three or four in a row. To go and get a result there was incredible. And again, South End, it's that similar thing. Club got saved on the on the Wednesday. We've gone there in front of an almost sold out home end, you know, in a huge game where they could have gone above us. We could have seen ourselves going to seventh at the end of the weekend. We've gone there on a Friday night and got that win, which you know put us cemented us into fourth. I know we're not fourth now, but um, we've got a few we're, games in hand, so hopefully we'll be back there. We're close enough. Yeah. I mean, men. One of the interesting things has been the fact that the team seemed to be putting in, with the exception of Dorking better performances away from home rather than at home. So, I mean, obviously we had the Dorking loss last week, but if you kind of look back, like the wins at Eastleigh, Scunthorpe, Halifax, Torquay, even Knotts actually where I thought we were we were decent for the first, you know, 60 minutes or so. And then in contrast at home, we had probably the, you know, the Altrium game, uh, the Oldham game, um, where we kind of were really quite poor. Is there anything mem tactically that you're seeing that might be, linked to that i mean is it that perhaps we're being a bit more reactive or better up as a counter-attacking side what what have you noticed perhaps in some of those defeats that's stopped us from being relentlessly consistent and cementing that third or fourth place i think in the the games i've seen I mean, i've watched quite a lot of games on the streaming um as well as i've been to a few quite a few home games um this year the thing i've noticed is that when we play at home most teams generally speaking as a rule will set up trying to keep it compact and then try and hit on the break. And I kind of feel like that when we're asked to force the game a bit, we're not, we don't have the, a, a lot of quality in the wide areas. And I think sometimes the amount of times we've sat there frustrating where we've 
barely, we've had a lot of possession, but not really delivered any decent balls. Whereas away from home, because the onus is a lot of times on the home team, and I wouldn't say it's per se a counter-attacking performance. It's more that home teams will generally throw a few more players forward. And what we're doing is because we're quite good at transitioning um, and because we have got quite a lot of legs in our team, we can attack spaces that are left behind by a home team pushing on. So that to me feels like that they they fall into the trap of giving us a little bit more space than they need to. Um, that just goes to show you look at the South end on the Friday night where we literally, how many, how many one-on-ones did we yeah. have? Um, Smith's one-on-one, Canu had one, Cabamba had one. It was relentless, wasn't it? And what we try and do as well, actually, I noticed we try and move the ball very quickly from back to front. It's becoming a bit high, the, the balls from back to front for my liking, but a lot of the time it's usually on the floor where we try and get the ball and we try to just punch it through and get it, just get it, you know, move the ball as quick as we can through the thirds. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I'd like to get, I'd like at some point in this podcast to get into sort of the, um, the slight change in style of late. Cause I think it's, I think that's been quite uh, down to a little bit down to personnel um, on both ends of the pitch, actually. Um, well, yeah. let's, let, let's get into that now then, man. Do you want to just expand on that a little bit and, and what you've seen onto it? And then I sort of bring in Charlie and myself to talk about some of those new players. Yeah, I think this whole sort of conundrum around Kabamba and how it's been, he's been slightly knocked out of his stride a little bit by Harry Smith turning up, who by the same token is scoring a ton of goals. And there's obviously that, and I've made the comment without really looking into it a bit closely, close up, and I've been sort of looking at it a bit closer of late, is that is Harry Smith becoming RS Brillia, where it's kind of he's, although he's doing well, he's doing well individually. Has he knocked the 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 way the form to the side? But actually, the more I think about it, and the more I look at the way the team's set up, we've got a situation where we've got we're having to play a lot of left footers in the back. It's kind of what it's done is when you play a when you're playing a certain possession style or play from the back like we do generally, is you need players that are comfortable on the ball. Firstly, you need players that know each other. Secondly, um, and because we we're having to change so much at the back at the moment. What's happening is the the delivery from the back is a little bit disjointed because we don't have that kind of note. We don't have that um, uh, the understanding yet. Uh, understanding at the moment, we've got Potter at one point was is playing on the right side of centre back, so all the angles are slightly wrong. Which means that what's happening is that because we're not, we don't have that natural uh, understanding playing from the back. Players are more inclined to hit those longer balls to Harry Smith, which is why we're looking like we're just playing long ball. I think it's coming from the unsettled nature of the defence. Whereas when we have people like Winter, Collinge, who are quite comfortable in possession, they know each other, they know where each other are going to stand. They're quite comfortable to build play from the back. And we're struggling with that entry entry point from the team just because of the injuries that we're having. And it's just really uh, disrupted the flow of the team. Charlie, what do you make of that? Because you, you've obviously seen Smith come in and to yeah. be fair to him, he's, he's done a brilliant job, you know, both offensively. I can't think I can remember yeah. a, a number nine at Barnet who's been as strong in the air. I mean, Akinde mm. was ex, you know, unbelievable player and finisher. You know, Hatch, a really strong player as well, but he's unbelievable in the air, his headers and the quality of them. So it's difficult to kind of have a look at someone who's coming in school, whatever it is, eight and seven, and bit of constant threat and say, actually, they're they part of the problem. But what, what do you make of what Mem said there, perhaps about us naturally going a bit more direct because mm-hmm. of, of what Harry Smith offers us up front? I think it's a, yeah, it's a natural. I completely agree with the disjointed, you know, back back line. You know, when you've got Winter and Collins there who are right footed and they can, you know, open their body up and head out towards the right hand side, it offers you a completely different option and it shifts, it shifts every single player on the pitch, a different side of the pitch. Um, 
Listen, Smith, I, I love Kabamba to bits and we're not here. I'm not here to slate Kabamba. He's been one of our players of the season and he's not got 17 goals for no reason. But listen, when someone's come in and got a goal, goal to game ratio like Smith has, if Smith had played the same amount of games from the start of the season as Kabamba, I'm pretty sure, he, well, from the way he's gone, he would have more than 17 right now. That's not to say Kabamba shouldn't be the forward man, but it's really difficult to drop Smith, a striker who I think is head and shoulders above this league. Um, in terms of his his um you know hold up play and the way he brings other players into the game and his touch and the way he moves for someone of his size it's really difficult to drop him he may be he went off after 5 minutes yesterday he may be injured now moving forward who knows um but i don't think it's as big as a problem as everyone making out the problem i think we've got is mem touched on it just then when teams sit back we can't break them down and there's no coincidence we had so many chances at South End because they were playing a bit of a high line and they were having a go mm. at us. But when you've got, we basically we haven't got. A, it feels like there's no Plan B when that happens. And I'd like to see some players who can unlock defensive. Come on, this is why I've been so disappointed in the amount of time Rob Hall's had because Rob Hall is the kind of player that can come on and unlock. Even at Dorking, I know he didn't do much, but he came on and he was in the pockets. He was picking up the ball. He was trying to do little, you know. No look through balls. Like there's people who can create magic, and it, we're in, in the last ten minutes of the game where we're trying to find a goal. We haven't been utilizing those kind of players, and we've still been going long, even though we've taken Smith off. So I think it's about Plan B and how we can unlock defenses. You know, in the last fifteen. Go on, man. You got to say something else there. Yeah, sorry. Two points to that. I think that the key to the key, obviously, the prime difference between Harry Smith and Kabamba is that is that is that where Harry Smith is very is superior in the air and he's very good at holding the ball up the difference between him and Kabamba is that he's not as mobile as Kabamba so whereas Kabamba offers us the uh can, can cover more ground up, up front Harry Smith is not really that kind of player but he is a good he, so what so in the, in the games where they turn scrappy actually Harry Smith is quite a good a good person to have because he'll fight for everything and he'll go for you know he'll win headers and and if we play if we're going to play a set piece game then he's perfect for that but in games where we want to stretch teams and things like that I think Kabamba is offers us so that it gives us an option there so I think it has slightly adjusted the team in that respect but I think what Harry Smith has done has done amazing going on to the second point um uh, around creativity so yes so again at Altrinham um at home that game to me Rob Hall should have come on 20, 30 minutes earlier because it was quite clear that Altrinham had set up in a way that was saying, come on to us. And I, wor I worry that Dean Brennan's wor is main concern with Rob Hall is the fact that he's not as physical as some of the other players, doesn't get about the pitch as much. But in that game, it where, matter, does it? where you want a guy yeah. who's put a ball on sixpence and we are, we at one point we were pinning Altrinham back Um he is a perfect player in that scenario is to get balls and just whip it in and just tell him, just whip it in because his delivery is phenomenal. Um, and I think that we're not, I agree with Charlie. I don't think we're utilizing him in certain game states. I think in certain game states where, where teams need to be unlocked, I think we need to be a bit braver and bring on and bring Rob Hall and not worry about the fact that he hasn't got the legs of somebody else. The, the thing about Rob Hall, he gives, he gives, even if he's not physical, he doesn't get involved with the game. He gives other defenders something to worry about. If you've been a defender and you've been on playing for 70 minutes and this little guy comes on who's skillful, got unbelievable feet and unbelievable delivery, naturally their whole mindset and their whole sort of, you know, uh, motivation towards the, seeing out the game changes because they've got this guy to worry about. 
And like it just, yeah, we're not using him enough. And he's he's such a good player for us. And I do think he needs to, you know, be, be given more of a chance because I feel like he's, you know, got a lot to give. On that point as well, the other thing that's been slightly disappointing is I feel like we could be offering more minutes to somebody like Flanagan because I could see that Flanagan looks well rusty. And it just, to me, if I feel like he is another player that cannot unlock doors. So, you know, that that to me, those two players, we need to start giving them a few more minutes. I think just a couple of things actually on those points, because I, I think to be fair, in terms of like the progression and moving up towards the Smith and Kabamba debate, I'm kind of... A couple of things stand out. First of all, I think Kabamba deserves a huge amount of credit for just putting in immense shifts wherever he plays. You know, it's quite easy for a centre forward who's got 17 goals, whatever, you know, he might have half an eye on a move up the pyramid once more. I know he's 30 years old, to sort of be a bit miffed about being pushed out onto the wing. But his work rate off the ball is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I think he fully deserves the credit. And I think, you know, to your point, Charlie, about Smith being in some ways a better option. I think they both just complement each other very, very well. I don't think Smith would have necessarily got the goals that Kabamba did say against Chesterfield, but equally I don't think Kabamba would have got some of the goals that Smith's got in terms of the, that aerial threat. And it's interesting because in theory, Smith should provide that plan B because when a defence is sitting deep, that what they don't want to deal with is, is balls into the box. They just say, look, you know, pop the ball in and we'll just head it out every single time. But Smith in, invariably has been the best header of a ball on the pitch from both teams in most of the games he's played. And that makes the point even more frustrating for me around Hall is it's not even just the fact he finds the pockets. His, his dead ball delivery and his delivery from like that sort of 20, 30 yard zone in the sort of half space is absolutely quality. And it's been really frustrating yeah. to me he hasn't got in there. I think to some extent though, like it, it's been... A lot of it could be down to fatigue. And I think we're seeing that with someone like Woods, et cetera, going into those sides. I think Brennan is perhaps having half a mind on the fact that we're playing, you know, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, when you're playing a possession-based style of football with that intensity as well. I don't think we are as playing as much of a possession-based side as, as someone like Notts County or even at our level teams like Woking or Wilston. Like there is a tendency to say, we're just going to minimise error. We're going to play error-free football. Um, and, you, you know, you put Woods in there for the second balls. You, you kind of go a bit more direct, bits and pieces. Um, and you try and basically kind of scrap your way to results. I think the problem is, is like if you're a player, like 50, 60 minutes in, we saw this yesterday at Maidstone, you're back four, they're quite quite tired, you're under a bit of pressure, it's a bit of a weird pitch, it's a, it's a 3G. It's so easy just to go long because it's a risk-free ball, um, but you, you, you do kind of find that ball coming back at you quite a lot. So I think one of the key things you've got to do is in the middle of this helter-skelter schedule is find a moment just to pause, reset, and potentially bring sort of, you know, when we do get Winter and we get Collinge back, just to bring a bit of stability with with those guys, with Gorman, etc., who can be a bit more of a metronome in the middle of the park and, and really begin to create that rhythm that we need. Because, you know, as great as it is to be in the position we're in right now, and we'll come on to playoff chance in a moment, I'm still not convinced that the way we're playing at the moment means we're one of the, the seven best sides in the division. And I still don't think, you know, we were saying just before we started recording, Charlie, that the Mason game on another day could have gone another way. And that's not because they're a good side. They're, they're pretty terrible, as you'd expect from a side that's got Ben and Williams and Barham in it, and even like a 35-year-old <laughs> Mark Marshall. You'd expect they play at that level. We allowed them to really grow into that game second half because we just made poor decisions on the football. And the time we did get it down and start playing it through the thirds, even when we were playing it vertically, like I was saying, there's a massive difference between going long and then playing vertical football. And we've just seemed to have lost that a little bit with losing college winters. I think it's been a massive loss for us um, and, and Gorman. And the final thing I'll say very quickly is I think that the slight thing that we've lost a little bit with the loss of, of, of winter has been the tactical flexibility in game. And if you think back to the Boreham Wood game on the on the New Year's Day, where we got that equaliser, 
And there was a carbon copy of that goal about five minutes before it was ruled out for offside. And then we got the equaliser was by essentially with Winter in the side and with Kanu in the side, you can transition so quickly from going to, you know, a back five, a back four, a back three. You can push Winter on really, really high and play him as a winger. And we were able just to create these patterns, which meant that teams were constantly having to deal with different problems. We've sort of lost that a little bit now. Um, I think in terms of that flexibility, so it's become a bit of a grind. So I appreciate it's a, very, a lot of points in a very no, short no, space no, of yeah, time, no. but go on, Charlie. What were you gonna you gonna say something there? Yeah, no, I completely agree with everything you said. Um, I feel like Cropper. I'm gonna just don't know if we're going off topic slightly, but Cropper is a good. He, he looked like a good, solid, right hand sided, you know, defender, fullback, whatever you want to call it. Because um, we've even though we've signed you know players to bring in uh, to cover the injuries. Potter was playing right back at Dorking. You know, we've not had one. And if Collins and Winter are going to be out for a while, I think if we can have Cropper there for the month, it's all about balance. It's all about balance. And as long as we've got someone who's comfortable on the right-hand side and is right-footed and can play in defence or even a little bit further up, who's good at football, like Cropper is. I thought it was a great debut yesterday. Mm. That That's it. it or instantly, it gives me more hope. And like you said, in terms of tactical um, changes of shape in-game, it allows us to do that now. We could have easily gone into a, a different formation yesterday because Cropper could have dropped back or we could have moved forward. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, and, and just quickly as well on the injuries, I think Gorman showed how how, how vital he is to this side when he came on at uh, South End. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, it was it was a game-changing substitution. It was a match-winning substitution. Um, and, yeah, he's he sort of goes under the radar, Gorman, because he... He quietly goes about his job as you should do, but he never does anything really spectacular where you'll leave a game and go, Gorman was absolutely unbelievable today. Um, but I think because he hadn't been playing and because it was because he came on, we witnessed him actually changing a game and what he does do when he's on the pitch. Um, and we completely missed that yesterday. We missed and, and Tuesday, we just missed him in the middle. You know, he's our captain, he's our He's our leader. He's the guy who get, keeps everything ticking. So as soon as they come back, we'll be we'll be good to go. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, you know, we're going to come on to players of the season in a moment, but I think there's a, case, a strong case made for Gorman underneath that radar. I mean, not just in terms of his performance at Southend, but Scunthorpe as well. Like he's 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 really beginning to deliver for us in terms of that experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mem, at this stage though, there, there are some questions with the fatigue, with the injuries, with the fact that we're essentially playing a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. We know that Brennan mentioned even on Saturday in his in his post-match sort of I guess what it was Q&A session with our in-house media guy about the fact that they're you know he wants to look to where possible strengthen that squad if you're looking at that squad men as it currently is and bear in mind there are some question marks about injuries are there any areas in particular that we might want to strengthen and this just leads into one short question which we'll do as an aside around whether or not it's worthwhile perhaps investing in a backup goalkeeper Walker again was stretching his back um, not Walker yeah Walker yesterday was stretching his back again quite a lot in the middle of the game is that something that we should look at men? Uh, yes, because it's clear he's completely lost any faith in Azazi. Um, and for me, I would get a right-sided centre-back. I think as crop as a start, but I think the way this team's really worked well is having that balance between the left-sided centre-back, right-sided centre-back, um, allowing us to flip. Uh, you know, to for the right centre half, a right centre back to go out to play right back and push on the right back down the line. Um, it, we're missing that a little bit. I, I really like Potter. I think Potter's got is looks like a really lovely footballer, but the angles 
that come from being a left footer playing out on the right side, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help the progression of the ball from the back. So I think that would really help us solve that issue. Um, and also it means as well, because I generally feel that Akimo probably does need a breather as well. I mean, he's played every single game. And I think at some point we need to be able to rotate those three centre-backs just to to make sure that, you know, protect Hakimo because if, because he's, you know, he's not the youngest in that. So he's, to be honest, that's the one area that I would look at is that right-sided centre-back as well as possibly, like you said, a backup goalie. Charlie, what about yourself? Yeah, Potter, just on Potter, you know, whenever you sign someone in the National League, whenever someone comes from a Premier League or Championship club on loan, you instantly know they're going to be a good footballer because that's what they teach you in the academies. They teach you how to play. They teach you how to do diags. They teach you, you know, you can tell they're good footballers. He wasn't, he was never going to be a 18 year old, you know, um, footballer that wasn't technical. So he's got it all, you know, in his locker. Um, I think he'll grow from strength to strength every game. And, you know, it won't surprise me if he goes back to Sheffield, uh, Sheffield United and has a great career up there. Um, Akeem, I mean, I don't want, I don't want to rest Akeemo. I don't want. I think he's, in, I think he's unstoppable. I think he could play. Every, I think he could do another season without even a rest in the summer. I think he's just. I know we'll get onto it at the end, but he's just. I remember when he signed. Brennan said in his interview, "Oh, we've signed Akeemo. Um, he'll get, he'll get you seven out of ten every week." And I was like, "Really?" And he he couldn't have been more right. He's he's just the most reliable player we've got, I think. And I feel so like safe and comfortable whenever he's on the ball, wherever he's whenever he's challenging for a ball. Um, but yeah, no, we need we need a bit more balance at the back. And like Mem said, you know, the, the right hand side and the left hand side. If we can get that sorted, and if Collins can come back, listen, we've got a, we've got a, just what three three weeks to the semi final. I know that's what. You know, I know we got the league as well on Tuesday, but the semi-final is all that's on my mind personally. If we can get Collins back for the semi-final, you know, um, win, winter get Winter back and Gorman back. If they're all fit for the weekend of the first, I think we've got we've got something to look forward to. Just uh, just in this final section, then on on kind of current form and where we're at, it, it's worthwhile just in the final five minutes before we take a little breather just to address the kind of trophy versus playoff scenario. And interestingly enough, I think it was last week, Solihull Moors put up a um, a statement, their chairman, and I retweeted it on BeastPod. Um, and he's basically said, look, we are not in a position to compete for the playoffs. So we're going to take the decision now to sell one or two of our best players, use that money to reinvest and go again for next season. And it, it kind of created quite a mixed reaction from their supporters because on the one hand, they really appreciate the honesty and they're getting some money that they can reinvest. On the other hand, it is obviously a lack of ambition and you never know when you're going to get a chance again. They're only a few points off the playoffs, I think. It, for us, it's a slightly less drastic situation. We are currently in the semi-finals of the trophy and we are obviously currently in the playoff positions, albeit slipping slightly with quite a few defeats in the last six, seven games. Mem, in terms of Brennan and the balance and thinking just very objectively about the fact that we've got Notts County and Wrexham in this league, two superpower sides who, you know, I think even as Barnet fans, we'd love to go up. We would accept on sporting merit, perhaps, that there's a case that both those sides should be playing League Two football next season. What do you think the right approach is in terms of balancing the league and the trophy over the coming weeks? I think this is a really, really tough one because ultimately we all want to go up, but you kind of... And we can't just sort of hand promotion places to Notts County and Wrexham just because they're bigger than us. Uh, and I think on our day, we can beat any of the teams 
in the top, you know, in a, well, in this in this division, full stop. I think I think the key to it is is if once we get past the semi final, I think we can make a a, a better judgment um, on what we prioritise. But in the meantime, I think it's I think to be honest, I think at the moment Dean Brennan is playing playing it game by game because he doesn't know who's who's got fit. So I know I've not really given an answer there, but I think for me, I would like to love to see us at Wembley. Um, so at the moment, it looks like the FA Trophy is is the, is the place that will get us that. Um, and maybe if Wrexham and Notts County are to be the ones that get promoted out of this division, maybe it might make next season a bit more competitive. Um, and we can build on that and attract better players because of, you know, because of the, you know, of, of the season we've had this year. Charlie, what about yourself? Listen, I think that um, part of me sympathises with how many games we've had and how knackered everyone must be. There's another part of me that goes, you know what, we're professional footballers, like, it's your job to do. If you meant you've got to do Saturday, Tuesday, you've got to do Saturday, Tuesday. I don't think we should be. Listen, when, if you ask me which one I'd rather, I'd rather go to Wembley in the FA Trophy final. I've made that very, very, very clear. What one we should prioritise? I think they should both be on the same level. Like that, that semi final we've got on Saturday the first, right against whoever it may be. That's not a game now. That's you know an extra game that's been added. Granted, York away in the league is now going to have to be rearranged, but. We were going to be playing York away on that Saturday anyway, where we would have fielded our strongest eleven anyway, because we're we're you know we're going for the playoffs. But I don't think anything should change now just because the game is an FA Trophy game and not a league game. It's still it's still a Saturday game on the first of April that we were due to play anyway. So I think you just got to go there. Listen, I said to my dad earlier, apart from Harry Smith, not one player in this squad has played at Wembley. And none of the, well, from far as I know, none of the coaching staff are coached at Wembley either. Um, I'm sure that's right, that Harry Smith's the only one, correct me if yeah, I'm wrong, anyone. sounds right. Yeah, yeah he was right. there in the playoff final in COVID. So, listen, there's, it's once in a lifetime. You may never get this opportunity again, especially when you're playing in the lower league. So, I think we go for the trophy, you know, we rewrite history, we get to Wembley, we try and win it. And, listen, we've got to come, if we if we go, if we want to go up, go up We've got to finish third if we want if we want to skip the eliminator. The second next best option is finishing fourth because if you finish fourth, you play third in the in the semi, which would mean avoiding Notts County or Wrexham until Wembley. We're not fourth in the minute; we're sixth. So you know you're looking at an eliminator, win that, and then a semi against Wrexham or not. So you know nothing's guaranteed. That's three games there before we can even get to Wembley, and we've got to get through Notts County or Wrexham. So I think you know let one of them go up or both of them go up in a way. Once they're gone, you know, it's anyone's game next year. Um, this is just an anomaly this year. It's ridiculous. This will never happen again. The points we're seeing them two get together going head to head, that will never, ever, ever happen again in this league. So I think, you know, get win, win the FA Trophy and get into the playoffs wherever that may be. And I think we've had an amazing season. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, in the second part of the show, we are going to focus on some of the great questions you've got. Um, but a lot of those have really focused around some of the longer term things that are going on at the club um, in terms of where this squad should be and some of the key things that have driven our success, not just in the past few months, but throughout the season. Um, let's not forget when we 
you know, we're recording uh, sort of over the last few years. We've seen the bees very much at the foot of the table, worrying about relegation battles. It wasn't so long ago that we were getting battered regularly on the opening day of the season, 5-0 at home. Um, and so, you know, as much as we might get frustrated by the odd defeat against Dorking or disappointing performance against Oldham, um, the squad and the club have come on leaps and bounds uh, under Brennan's leadership. Um, and I thought what we could quickly do is just have a quick discussion as to what we think he's got particularly right and particularly this season. So I'm going to start with yourself first, Charlie. You know, obviously we went into the season in August, had a good start uh, that saw us go up towards the top of the table and we sort of stayed in that top half, top third for most of it. And um, what do you kind of put that down to? Has it been recruitment? Has it been the style? Has it been the reconnection with the supporters? What's been the kind of key thing driving our success, do you feel, under Brennan? I've got two things that stand out and I've said this for ages and I'm going to sound like Lee Brennan here when I say the word togetherness. Um <laughs> But I think first and foremost, the togetherness, the connection he's and bond he's built back up with the players and the fans. Curry did it and, and Curry did it to a certain extent. But I think Brennan has taken it to another level. Don't know how, but um, you know, even yesterday, just seeing saw so many old faces there yesterday that I've not seen for years who have obviously you know got a bit of the bug and are missing feel like they're missing out. So I'd say togetherness for sure. Uh and then uh probably the best thing is the recruitment, and, and I know it's easy to say that, but I'm going to say why I think it's the recruitment. Um, he's made it very clear that I, I've, I really trust Brennan and I trust that he knows this level inside out. And you can tell by the way he confidently speaks, he's got a very broad um, range of knowledge of the players at this level and, and above and below. Um, but like little things where I feel like he's ruthless in terms of when he sees someone he likes, he'll put them on his radar and he'll go and get them. And for example, we signed Dale Gorman off the back of that game at Yeovil away where he got Mason Clark sent off. And I remember Brennan said that he left that game and Brennan, uh, the next day in the hive, Dale Gorman was on the whiteboard in the office as a target. And, you know, we've gone and got him in the summer because he saw that he had a bit of, you know, a bit about him. Um, and I think there's some there's a story similar to like that with every individual. Um, yeah. I know the Col the Collins one was. Uh, I know we beat them six 0 but when we beat Dover at home at the Hive, he said that he left that game and put Danny Collins on the whiteboard as a target because he hadn't seen a right back deal with. Even though we won six 0 it sounds ridiculous, but he hadn't seen a right back in the league deal with Mason Clark like Danny Collins did that day in terms of you know, the angles he was showing him and didn't let him get down the get down the wing. So, yeah, that was... Just... Mason Clark was the one he fed back to him. That, that was the hardest game he'd played. Yeah, Mason, was it Mason yeah. Clark, was it? Yeah, you're right. So, little things like that. I feel like everyone has got something like that. He's seen something in everyone, you know. Um, but I think he got the balance... With the recruitment, he got the balance right. He got the type of player right. One, Sorry to keep going on, but one thing that really no, stands good. out to me as well is that he said... Brendan said at the start of the season, um, these are players... If you look who we've signed, they're all players who have played... 38 plus games last season and he said that's something we haven't had last year we had too many people in, in the in the injury room and he said I wanted to sign reliable players that I know can play 85% plus games in the season and that's exactly what's happened I mean you look at Akimo, Gorman's only just got injured for the first time Harry Pritchard runs around like he's running you know running a marathon and doesn't stop um, you've got players who just a, a re relentlessly, you know, um, fit. And we haven't really, apart from the regulars in the injury room, your Dan Powers and co, um, 
we've we've had a pretty you know fit side for the majority of the season. I know it's going a bit tits up now, but that's just because all the games we've had. So um, yeah. yeah, for me, recruitment and togetherness, they're my num- the my number two things. Before I come to you, it's interesting because we we probably had um, a conversation about when we were in a kind of positive position in League Two, and this is probably the 26-2017 season where we were where we won the game at Orient. I think it was that season, maybe it was fifteen sixteen. And what we'd done in that summer was quite different. We'd gone out and we bought a lot of younger players, like you know your Akinolas. I think we brought Jack Taylor, a bunch of so other nice. ones. Santos, etc., uh, Sweeney, all of whom incidentally have actually gone on to have pretty decent careers in the EFL. And we were saying, actually, that might be the model to go to, you know, a young a club that basically brings in young talent in London and then moves them on. Obviously, those players have gone on to have great success elsewhere, not upon it, unfortunately, because they ultimately were the, the bedrock of the side that got us relegated uh, and also didn't get up the year afterwards. What do you think? Because one of the things about, about Brennan's recruitment, men, was... And he got some stick for it, perhaps, in the summer was a lot of these players had a prior link. Laurie Walker had a prior link to him. Kabama had a prior link to him. Obviously, Akimo and the guys from, from Wilston had a prior link to him. What do you think? Is that sort of changed your mind now a little bit about the model we should go after? Perhaps a slightly older profile of player on a on a, on a league that's essentially run on one and two year contracts where it's not always guaranteed that you're going to get best value for money off, off young players if they run down their contract or they leave or they get injured, etc.? Um, what's he done? Is he is he sort of taken a slightly lower risk profile? Has he got it right in terms of the balance of youth and experience? And perhaps a slight, not a, a challenge, but a question to think about the sustainability of it, considering the fact that we know Akimo, Kabamba, you know Connor Smith, etc., are players that are, you know are pushing over thirty at this stage. Well, I think remember when we interviewed him, I used the word money ball, and I think what Brennan was trying to do was trying to make his money stretch as much as he could. And knowing players and that where there's not much of a risk and knowing that actually there's some value to be got out of that player is very much the Moneyball model. And I think when you look at people like Kabamba, he'd he's he'd he'd not pulled up any trees anywhere apart from little short bursts on loan. I think on, on loan at Hartlepool was one of his best spells. So he's come to the club at the age of 28 with not really probably not a huge number of clubs sort of fighting to get him, got value out of him. He scored a lot of goals. Laurie Walker had been a number two, hasn't really wasn't really valued any uh, at Stevenage. Comes in, comes in at a, a, a wage, having played you know not really played very high in his career. Comes in at a wage that's affordable, and on and on and on and on. So you've got this situation. You've got Dally Collins as well. There's another thing that we've always said for, we've said for a number of years on this show is can we get the best of the rest in this league? Because the chances are they'll probably be on, on on the kind of wages that we can afford, and we're a step up in terms of stature. Danny Collins is a perfect example of that, where we've given him a platform. Now he'll go on again, he'll kick on again. So that those kind of players, and so it is very much. I think have knowing the players, he knows what he can get out of the players, and he knows what kind of temperament they have. Whereas any player coming in that he's never worked with. And especially, I think this summer he had to be very clever with his with his with his budget. I think that was probably why Lint was that. Now we've got this core. I think next summer potentially he could take a few more risks because he's got, you know, he's got his core team to 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 build from. Yeah, he start- um, he mentioned on on uh, on Saturday after the game something about being eighteen months ahead of of where he could or where he thought this group would be. 
And obviously it's interesting because when we spoke to him, Mem and I, you know, this time, essentially last year, he was talking about not wanting to look too far ahead in football, you know, and and 18 months is a hell of a long time. But Charlie, based on what you've seen, where do you feel that this squad should be? Because we're currently sick. We've had a great season, obviously, compared to where we've been, you know, in the past. But do you feel that we're sort of punching above our weight at the moment? Do you feel that the additions of people like Smith, etc., perhaps change some of the expectation levels? You know, where where do you feel that this squad should be? And do you feel it's the kind of the basis of a squad that, even if it doesn't quite work out this season, could be a squad that steps up another year with a few additions uh, next season? The only reason why we think we're all, we all think we're ahead of schedule is because of how bad it was, right? And we just misjudged the jump that we had the potential to make. The squad that we've assembled and the players we've got, I, I don't actually think now, having seen them and you know for nearly a whole season now, I don't think we're overachieving now. We're overachieving in our minds because we're we're further up the league than we all thought we should have been. But I think we are a top, we may not be playing like it now, but I do think we are a top seven National League team with this squad we've got um, and these players we've got. And I think even Brennan said in his interview after Saturday, he said what you mentioned there, I think we're 18 months ahead of schedule in a way. However, it's about staying here now. So he's even he's even shocked at it, but we're not we're not looking back and going, we should be there, let's aim for there. We're where we are now. And I think we've got to keep it up and, you know, it's all about as well keeping these players for next year keeping the majority of this squad Um, you know we've got Brennan tied up if we can keep when was the last time we went into a season and had the majority of the of the starting 11 stay I can't I cannot remember it and I think it's so important because already there we've got a head start on three quarters of the league half the league who are you know revamping the whole squad and backroom staff and that is what that's what gets you progression the following season. Um, so if we can hold on to eighty percent of that team, um, I think next year, you know, if especially if the big boys leave and get promoted, I'd I'd be expecting us to be a, you know challenging for top the top three, top four. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think there's obviously a couple of players whose profile really suits us. Like Laurie Walker is a great example of someone who you know. He's done a brilliant job this season. One of the best keeps I think I've seen at Barnet for a long time. I also think his character is fantastic. We needed leaders. And I think having someone at the back who's a leader makes a huge difference. But at his age, he's not going to necessarily be looking to go back into the EFL and, and secure a, you know, a starting number one role. Similar perhaps with Kabamba, who, as I said, you know, if he was sort of six, seven years younger, you'd be very worried about losing him. And, you know, there's still a risk, but at his age, you might be thinking, well, actually, you know what? I've got a good thing going on. The manager values me. I'm getting regular minutes. He's going to trust me through a dry spell. So I guess there's a couple of players that really fit into the mould of keeping and and really worrying about and making sure we tie them down. Um, Probably three that stand out in particular would be uh, Idris Kanu, Ryan de Havilland and Danny Collinge. Mm. We've obviously seen Brennan get tied into a good contract. Do you think that there would be scope or thinking to perhaps consider at least checking out those contracts and making sure those guys are, are with us next season to the point where we can, you know, if worst case scenario, there, there comes a fee or there's a big coming in, we're not sort of pressured to sell because we know they're going to leave for free within a few months time. I think Idris is probably, I think probably got another year, maybe even two years on his contract left. So I think we, we could, we're safe with Idris, but it might be that we might have to improve his deal to just to bump it up and add another extra year to his contract. Uh, Cause if he's, if he's, if he's, was it the first six months of his deal, yeah, it'll be probably be our three-year deal. He's probably on at the moment, including the ad, including the extra years. 
I think Danny Collins is probably coming into his second year of his deal. But knowing TK, I didn't realize this, but he actually puts in two uh, plus ones in. So apparently it's one plus one plus one he normally does um, because he worries about, you know, losing a player after after only one. Now, the one that worries me is Ryan de Havilland because I heard um, on the, you know, in, behind the scenes that basically we've been trying to tie him down for a while. And because obviously his his profile's risen, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that we'll be able to tie him down to a long term deal. So I wonder whether or not he'll be the one that has to go um, to just get some money to come in to to you know to then invest in the side. So I think two of those three we should be all right already anyway with contracts. But I'm just I worry about yeah. Ryan Havilland because I think like, Havilland's off. Yeah, I just I I've heard I've heard that the contract talks have, have reached stalemate. Um, it's not been a while since somebody's um, you know, told me any otherwise. So, and we've not heard if he's he's had an extension either. So there are other you know other players in the side though, like like senior. So what's what's the deal with senior? Because he's come in and been has done really well since he's come in. And That's a permanent was, signing as well, senior. It wasn't a loan or anything. How long? How long is it going to be for? Though? I'm not that too deal? sure, but it was a per, it was permanent. It wasn't a non loan to the end of the season because he didn't have a club. He got released. Yeah. For, he got let go from Wimbledon. I think just to your point though, Mehmet, like it is, I think, and it's similar to what Charlie was saying, if we can keep 80% together, we've got to accept that being the side we are in the fifth tier of English football, we're going to lose some good players. And actually, it would be quite rare for us to finish in the top seven and not be worried about losing players. That would actually almost be a bad sign because it would seem that we're, we're kind of outperforming the collective group of players. You know, we lost Mason Clark at the start of the season and back then a few people thought that might be the end of it. You know, we've seen as a one-man team, perhaps. He was obviously had a great start to the season, but Carney came and replaced him. I think De Havilland's another really good player. I think he reminds perhaps of someone like, you know, a sort of less well-refined Jack Taylor. So someone who who might actually really thrive in a higher league than in the conference, particularly with the style of football we're currently playing. But, you know, if he if he needs to move on, then he, he needs to move on. And that's okay. We, you know, if, as long as we're we're keeping that core of, you know, your Pritchards, your, your Walkers, your Akimos, your Kabambas, and then sprinkling in a few, yeah. we've got to trust that Brennan can can get you know, or find some other players that can come in and do a good and do a good job for us. Go on, Charlie. It's that spine. It's, you just mentioned it. I think subconsciously, without even realizing it was the spine. The spine is so important. Um, I think Pritchard, Gorman, Kabamba, Akima, Collins, Walker. If we can keep that spine and hold on to you know the, the Canoes and um, Winter's still going to be in contract, isn't he? And um, if we can do that, then, you know, you can work around that. But it's when you start losing key players in the spine who keep things ticking and keep, you know, keep the team solid. Um, but yeah, let's, listen, De Havilland, no one's going to no one's gonna um, be angry at De Havilland for leaving. He's amazing. He's been amazing for us. And if we can get a bit of money for him and he goes on to play in a football league, then so be it. But uh, yeah, we'll just keep, keep the spine and we'll, we'll go from there. So in the final part of the show, then we're going to just have a quick look at some of the great questions that have come in. I think we've touched on quite a few of them in terms of Rob Hole and the value of a chemo and perhaps the change of style. Um, but there's a couple of things that I just wanted to to address. So the first one is we've talked a little bit this from Rob um, about uh, the kind of like rotation um, issues. And one of the things that Rob mentioned was whether he feels we we play best with wing backs or as a back four. And I know we we kind of talked a little bit at the start of the show about this kind of hybrid model whereby Kanu and Winter, when he was playing, would give us the flexibility to kind of really 
shift between a, a three and a four mid game. Um, Mem, starting with yourself then, what, what do you feel gets the best out of this side when everyone's fit? Is it is it that sort of hybrid system? Is it a back four or is it actually going to a three, five, two um, and, you know, putting Smith and Kamamba up front together? I prefer when we, we do the hybrid because I think mid game, you know, it allows us to change, change sort of as the game sort of evolves. It allows us to evolve with the game. Um, and I think what it does as well is it gives us solidity when we need it, but also at the same time gives us extra bodies when we need to go forward. We we had, um, I think it was Ultranum, we went out with essentially two wingers as wingbacks and we were ridiculously aggressive. And both of those were high up the pitch and we were trying to play with three, you know, we were playing three at the back and the whole three, five, two, and it just did not work uh, because it was clearly those two guys were their first first and foremost were attacking players. And I think the lopsided, when, when we go into a lopsided four or we go into, you know, it really, it really helps other teams, it baffles other teams because they can't quite work out where how we're setting up. And I think that that, I wrote down here when you said earlier to, to Charlie about what are the things you got out of the team. I think post South End, the two things I'd written down were flexibility yeah been one of the things um synchronization and when i say synchronization what i mean is is the, um is the is the fact that the team is working as if they've got at some at points it felt like there was a rope attached to them as one came out as one came out to do a press everybody was was funneling in and they were funneling the ball into different areas and everybody knew their position that's kind of been affected by the, the by the injuries um but to me I don't think when we are a set four three three team or a set wing back team, I think we lose something when when we've got all our players back in winter, college, and we can flip between that. I think that makes us a really good side. And um, on in terms of off the pitch, um, we're supposed to Charlie for this one. Obviously, we have been, and you know, I think rightly so in some cases, been critical of the the ownership of the club um, when it's not gone well. But to be fair, this season has gone well. We've got it right in terms of, um, you know, on the pitch. We've seen money go in for players like Senior and Smith, uh, who have made the side better, albeit with the injuries they've got at the moment. Um, to what extent is some of this success down to TK? And that is even before we get into the, the season ticket offer and the fact that we're seeing some of those old faces come back into the side. I wouldn't, oh, I wouldn't personally give him credit. I think he's doing what he's supposed to do, which is, Backing his coat, backing his manager, and you know, I think a lot of the a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that you could look at and go, oh yeah, TK, what well, TK's done well there, I think has taken a lot of persuasion, a lot of meetings, and a lot of phone calls from Brennan, um, and I think Brennan really knows how to get on TK's good side. Um, this is just all assumptions, by the way. This is what I, the vibe I get. Um, but you meant you see D Brennan quite a lot, say in interviews, and he said it a lot of times about how he has a really good relationship with the with the owner. He says that, and I think he knows what he's doing. I think he knows. I think he knows TK will potentially listen to it. I think he knows that. I think I think he feel he he wants to let the fans know that they've got a good relationship. So we start to have a good relationship with him, which is which is working, you know. And granted, yeah, he has got to put his hand in his pocket and I do give him credit for that. But I don't think, I think it's Brennan. I think that's Brennan's, you know, the success should come from Brennan for that because I think that's all him. Um, 
I think it's this is things that the, the owner should be doing. Um, Go on, man. Sorry, Charlie's cut you off. I, I no, actually, think, I think, I think that Dean Brennan has helped himself by a lot of the players that he's had lined up, and a lot of players he's bringing in are kind of like quite obvious. You know, you know, and, and and like for TK to look at it, he goes, "Okay, yeah, we do need a right back." Okay, yeah, we probably do need an extra player there in that position. Probably need another striker to help Kabamba. They're all things where it's uh, that he can see himself. He's admitted to us himself that he tries to leave the football side to the manager. But if he gets a manager coming in going, oh, I need to get this guy from this club to play in centre midfield, and he's looking, well, you've got six centre midfield players in your on your books. Why do I? Why would I need to spend that extra money? And he's had his he's had his fingers burnt as well by managers doing stuff like that where they've just stockpiled players. Despite having a, you know a wealth of this you know players in that position, mm. where teams come into him and going, I need a right back. Look, I've got no right back. Okay, fair enough. Right, fair enough. TK will always make a manager work for the money, you know, to get the money for the player in. But I think Dean's been quite sensible in his recruitment. It's been quite clear where he needs his players, um, and he's and he's made the mo- he's made the most of them. He's tried to trim a lot of the fat of the squad as well by putting taking players going out on loan. Players have gone and left the club, etc. Yeah, it's it's interesting because just going back to your point, Charlie, where it's interesting you sort of wrestling as you spoke about the the extent to give him credit, um, and I think it's an interesting one for Barnet fans because on the one hand, you know we could see lots of positives in terms of on the pitch and you know players coming in etc., but equally like you know there are still issues that we want to see fixed in terms of you know parts of communication and and some of the match day experience, the hive and all that sort of stuff as well. So. I guess it's it's one which is difficult, but it, it does feel at least that we've got some sort of stability and some sort of certainty, which is something that we haven't had for a while. I think the key for me, at least, will be, A, what happens this summer? Um, because I felt that, you know, Brennan's contract running down was a bit of a worry. We fixed that now. What You know, what happens this summer if we say, say we finish eighth or ninth or say we finish fifth or sixth and don't quite go up? You know, what, what does that look like realistically in terms of the investment? And then B, can we continue some of the great work that we've done with supporters um, you know, in terms of that seem to get offered to keep getting those guys back in. I think one thing we haven't actually touched upon yet, and we'll, we'll look at it in one of the final questions before we finish, is that the fact that this Wembley day could be such an incredible opportunity if the club they get it right to actually really rekindle some of the love that some of those old fans, some of those old faces that perhaps drifted away when we moved up to the hive, perhaps use that as a way to get them back in and get them to fall back in love with the team, which they really see themselves in. Because I feel that, you know, as Parnet fans, all you want, all any football fan wants is to see themselves reflecting their team, to see the, the giving them a hundred percent, to see a manager who's open and honest and transparent and and no BS. And I feel we've got that with Brennan. So I just for me at least the question is is like, can we get TK to to buy into this more than just when we've had a really good run of games, but actually over a longer term period of time? And mm. um, just final few questions then before we wrap things up. Um I guess the <laughs> it's a tricky one, um, but it it's it's one that we have to ask. If we're being cold-hearted and honest, our, our form over the last month or so has not been been playoff form. We've seen that with a few games, um, particularly at home. It's a very simple question. We'll go with a yes or no explanation, starting with yourself, Charlie. Um, will we make the playoffs? And in either case, where do you think we will finish this season? Yes, I do think we'll make the playoffs. And I think we'll finish sixth or seventh. Um, I think we've got enough. I think we've got the players. Um, I know we said mentioned earlier he said um, let's get the semi-final of the FA Trophy out of the way and then assess the situation but if we win if we win on the 1st of April in the semi-final the final isn't until the 21st of May which is three and a half weeks after our last league game 
So if we win them that semi-final, we haven't even got to think about the FA Trophy until, you know, after the season. Um, I think we've got it in us. I think we've got a favourable run of fixtures. Granted, we've got to play County and Wrexham at home, but I think there are a lot of winnable games in there that will, like Mem said again, will get us those wins instead of draws. I'll take I'll take four or five losses. Um, as long as we can change the ones we draw into wins, I think we'll come six or seven. Uh, Mem, I know you say seventh every year. Is it seventh again this season? No, I think it'll be fifth. I think it'll be fifth. Um, I mean, I front enough, Chesterfield, uh, their form's now starting to go a bit up and down. And I know that we've got like Eastleigh and Boreham and Wildstone seem to be on, on, on good runs of form, but we've got two games over Eastleigh. We've got a game over Chesterfield. It's, it's in our hands still. It's still in our hands. If we win our game in hand, it puts us back into fourth. I think our goal difference is 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 what's letting us down. But I, I genuinely think that it's in our hands, and I think we've that, still we've still got to go to Woking as well. Yeah, true. It's true. That'll be a huge game. If we win our game in hand and go to Woking, my only worry is that Woking is the Tuesday before the semi final. That's my so, only worry. For me, right? I so I and I'm not trying to just to, to take the opposite points of both of you. I think we might fall just short, and I think the reason for that is because it's not even a trophy thing. I just think we've we overperformed slightly in that great run we had, and I think. We're not. I think there are other sides around us who are gathering momentum at the right time. Real, real momentum, consistently putting runs of wins together. I actually think, though, like the, the games that worry me are not. You know, if you look at the run of games we've got, they are all about. You know, we've got Yeovil on the Tuesday. We then got County, Wildstone, Woking, uh, York, Bromley, Maidstone. The games that worry, Solihull, etc. The games that worry me are much more. Sometimes gets the size at the bottom. I think Yeovil will be one of the hardest games in the running on the Tuesday night. They've been on a great run of form. They signed some really good players. They're playing for something. They're a side that might be happy for us just to have the ball and, and do damage and do us on the break. Um, I actually think I feel a bit more confident against Wildstone and against Woking, where sides where who love to keep the ball, love to pass it, and we can do them on the counter. Um, so I, I think it will be tight, but I do my 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 worry, my real worry is that we just slightly sort of run out of steam a little bit. And as great as it was to win on on Saturday, that performance, the ones I've seen in previous weeks, I think we're dipping at the wrong time. Unless we can get Winter back and get College back, really, ideally before not even before the semi final, but before really, you know, the Wieldston game, I, I worry that we're going to slightly run out of puff and drop a few too many points. Mem yeah. and then Charlie. Go on, Charlie. You go first. I'd actually like to argue against what you just said. Go on. And say that I actually think we're dipping at a good time. I think the dip won't last another 12 league games. I think we will maybe continue to have a dip for another few games and then hit form again for the last six, seven, which is when I think we'll need it. Whereas the teams who are hitting a run now, your Boreham Woods, Wildstones, They've got they they've got a dip coming. They can't continue this for the the next 12, 12 games. So I think this, what will be will be. But I think the stars are aligning for something special, regardless what happens. Go on, man. Well, I was, I'm just looking at our next game. So this, I, I, I'm convinced it's still in our hands. We've got Bromley, Wildstone, Notts County, Woking, all to still all still to play. Um, and I think also the things. Well, I know Boreham would have been on a bit of a run. They have scored forty three goals all season. Mm. So when you're when and they've drawn so many games, when you're playing with such fine margins, I don't think I think that the form could flip the other way quite quickly, where those one nils become you know one nil losses. Um, I, I I genuinely think it's in our hands, and I think actually I think 
I know this sounds weird, but I've actually one of the most key signings could be for you know could be Jordan or could be Cropper because all of a sudden he's balanced he's balancing the team again, and I think that could be the kind of the the steadying sort of influence that we have, which allows us to play the way we want to mm. play, um, and get us back on track again. Um, so I, I'm I'm you know I'm still positive that we'll finish about fifth. We've got also, you've got to think, this dip in form has come coincidentally since the injuries, you know, since we've lost that balance, the Collins and Winters. As soon as you get those players back in the team, Don Revan as well, who played against Chesterfield at home, I thought he was great that day. Um, that that could be the game-changing thing for us. Like you said, it, it, for that, for the running, could be the difference between two Wembleys in a week. Well, uh, on that note, we'll have to wait and see. I hope I hope you're both right. But whatever happens, as Charlie said, what will be will be. It's been a, a brilliant season so far. Uh, and there's plenty more games uh, coming up. Um, we start with Yeovil on the Tuesday. And then just for those of you that uh, are interested, we've got Notts County, Wilson, Woking and York. And so we hope to get a, a show out within the next three or four weeks. The games come quick and fast to update um, you on where we're at. Um, but before we finish, final point and closing point from Charlie. And then we'll wrap things up. I just want to ask you both a question that I've been discussing with my dad and brother today. The draw tomorrow. What's your, out of those three left, what what do you want? Uh, home tie or away tie and against who? That's a great question. Charlie, can you just run three for those of us that... Uh... Yeah, so we've got um, the semi-final teams are Barnet, Gateshead, Altrincham and Halifax. So I'll, I'll I'll start just while well, you can have a little think. So based off results, we've beaten Halifax twice this season. So I'd kind of like them at home. Um altering them after what they did to us at the Hive the other day, I don't want to get them. And I don't want to get Gateshead because we haven't beaten them this year. And I think mentally that will give us a slight scar. So my answer is Halifax at home. Okay, man. I'm going to agree because I think altering them, they've won three in a week. They're on, a, yeah. they're, on they're banging form. And um, and Gateshead have been a bit of a bogey side for us. So definitely Halifax. So I... I actually quite like Halifax. I think they're underperforming slightly. Um, they have sold a couple of players. I think Halifax is probably number one, but closely followed by Gateshead, just because I think we do slightly better against passing base sides. So I wouldn't mind either of those two. I would definitely want to avoid Ultram. I think Ultram are a really top side and they're a part-time side. They're still an outside bet, potentially, potentially for players, mm. probably too much in it, but they're a really, really top side. So yeah, that's a really good question, Charlie. My, my preference might be just about Gateshead at home, but at home. Um, I can see arguments arguments for either one. Well, I and mainly because I don't I don't want to drive up to Gateshead. No, I think well, any, any of those teams away, I don't fancy going there. So I think if we can get a home game, get the hive sold out. Yeah, it'd be really, and, it'd be massive. You know, be, I think we had fanciest then. Yeah. Well, with those dreams, we're going to make our way uh, off and end this pod. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, thank you, Mem and Charlie, uh, for contributing so much and also for making it 50 episodes i don't think i'm going to say you know 50 50 more if it goes to seven years that'll be us recording well into 2030s uh potentially but i don't think anyone wants that um but no on a serious note thank you so much for for, for listening in, guys thank you uh mem and charlie and fingers crossed um the next time we catch up uh, in a few weeks time uh we're not talking about either the trophy or the league uh we're talking about both the trophy final uh, and a really exciting playoff tie ahead of us. Uh, so thank you very much, Charlie. Nice one. Cheers, guys. And thank you very much, Mem. And see you all very soon. Thanks, mate.